Will you open to John chapter 17? Will you stand with me as we read uh, God's word? John chapter 17, verse 20 and 24. We'll all just read it together. Chapter, chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. May you pray with me, Father in heaven. God, we come to you uh, humbled by how much you love us. Humbled, God, that uh, before you even said, let there be light, you thought about us. You put us in your heart. God, it's humbling, Lord, that, uh, you so got, that you so love us, that you sent your son Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall never perish, but have eternal life. God, uh, Lord, thank you for the eternal life that we enjoy now. God, help us, O oh Lord, to live like those, O oh Lord, who has eternal life. So God, this morning, may your word be uh, a source of comfort and encouragement and and conviction. God, may your Holy Spirit be our teacher, O Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A prayer for God's vision. John chapter 17, verse 20 to 24. What we see in our text this morning is a a great planning session between the Father, the Son, and His Holy Spirit. And we are so privileged to listen to this great planning session. It it does not focus on a single country or, or continent of the world, but it has its scope on the whole entire world. It's not a plan, a campaign for a few years or a decade or two, but it includes the whole entire age in which we live, from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. This, this planning session just didn't involve a few local churches or a bunch of denominations, but it gathers the whole body of Christ. Every Christian who has ever lived or have, whoever will live in all time is part of this plan. These verses are, are the key to history, really the blueprint of, of God's overall program. The last six verses are like a military campaign being planned, which designed to really recapture the, the, this rebellious planet for God. This morning we will look at uh, verses 20 and 24, and, and next week as we end our series on John 17, we'll look at verse 21 and 22, 25 and 26, when he talks about love and, and unity in, in his prayer. A number of years ago, I played golf with an ex-British Army major who shared with me the three essentials to military planning. There's an objective, a strategy, and a tactics. Um, I think this is also in Call to Duty, right? <laughs> he explained to me the difference between them. The objective is the goal, the hilltop you wish to take, or the city that needs to be captured. Some specific target toward which all is aimed That is the objective. The strategy is the general procedure, the overall plan by which it is proposed to take the objective. And the tactics are the specific maneuvers by which the strategy is carried out. So when you look at verses 20 and 24, you will see the objective and the strategy and the tactics of the Trinity. Every military campaign must have all three. And Jesus here in this verse, in these two verses, is telling us this great plan to save a rebellious planet for God. Jesus in here was not praying in some quiet sanctuary in the upper room, although this was in the upper room, but he was in a battlefield. That was his thought and his heart when he prayed this prayer. He was in a battlefield. We have two points this morning. Number one, Jesus prays for all future followers. Look at verse 20 with me. 
I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. After praying for his disciples, Jesus now focuses prayer for future believers. You see, our, our Lord knows exactly who are his. He, he knows exactly who the Father has given him. He knows all of us by name. He knows everything about us. In, in, in verses 7 through 19, the last few weeks ago, we saw Jesus praying for his disciples. But now he widens his circles to include those who will believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. In, in John 6, 37 to 39, uh, Jesus goes on to say, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's such an encouraging passage, isn't it? That, that it's guaranteed that if God has called you and has destined to save you, that you will come to him. And he says, furthermore, he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. This is a guarantee for all of us, right? So God said, when all people that I've called to myself will come to me, and I will lose no one. I will lose no one, but raise them up on the last day. Jesus goes on to tell us that all those who have been invited by the Father will come and believe in Him for salvation. In addition, in verse 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. See, the Father initiated all this. This was his overall plan. With the enablement of his Holy Spirit, they will come. This should give us great comfort, isn't it? That, that God said, if I have called you and saved you and chosen you and selected you, you will come. And you will never be lost. You cannot be lost. In verse, in the last part, the last part of verse 20 says, Jesus said, but for all, for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus uses here what we call the present participle, meaning it expresses Jesus' confidence about what would, what was about to happen in the future that others would believe through their word. Through the words of who? Through the words of the apostles. See, Jesus speaks of it as already been present. He knew that this prayer would bring them great comfort later on, that those who will come to saving knowledge of Jesus will come. The same truth are still the basis of our evangelism today. We do not proclaim Jesus, we do not share Jesus, we do not preach Jesus to others on the basis of our ability to persuade or win an argument or some type of marketing plan. No, we simply preach the gospel and allow His Holy Spirit to continue his convicting work. Because there is power in the gospel. But there is a point that we need to believe that there's power in it and you need to believe it. See, the problem with evangelism is not that it, is not, it doesn't work. It's just we don't believe it has power. And it does. Some people think, oh man, I need to use this certain words or this certain vocab or, or, or this kind of way. Actually, Paul simply said, for I knew... Nothing except him and him crucified. That's all he knew. He trusted simply in the power of the message of the gospel. That's how I got saved. That's how many of you got saved. You see how foolish it is for us to think that we can somehow improve the gospel. I'm going to tell you right now. You cannot improve perfection. You cannot improve the gospel. If you try improving it, you will end up messing it up. Don't mess it up. The, the, the world may change, but the gospel cannot. You cannot improve on perfection. Many TV evangelists have made it worse by preaching that they can believe in Jesus without ever turning away from sin. The, the, their followers have received a, a false gospel and therefore a false hope. The, the fire insurance they have been given, their get out of hell free card is invalid. They're, they remain condemned in their sin until they receive this forgiveness and this cleansing from Christ. You see, unless there is an imputation of, of Christ's righteousness to the sinner, 
by grace through faith, there is no salvation. They will hear at their judgment from the very mouth of Christ, I never knew you. You know the, this word, I never knew you, depart from me. You who practice lawlessness is probably the scariest passage in all scripture. Imagine going to church thinking that I've always been saved. I think I'm saved. I believe I'm saved. And then when you come face to face with your maker, that you will hear from him, depart from me. I never knew you. How shocking would that be? No, no wonder Peter said in, in his epistle, be all more eager to make your calling and election sure. How many of you here are absolutely sure? How many here are absolutely certain that you are saved? Without a doubt, a shadow of a doubt that you are saved. Paul in Romans 10 tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. The father had given Jesus his word. And the apostles received that word from the Holy Spirit. The apostles then in turn passed that to us through what they wrote in the scriptures. Lydia's conversion is, is an example of this. In, in Acts 16, verse 14, it says here, the Lord opened her heart. What did the Lord do? Open her heart. Who does the opening? The Lord. So the Lord opens her heart, Right? So when the Lord opened her heart, she was able to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Right? So what did we see here again? It was, it was the father's love for Lydia to open her heart. She got, the father was drawing her near to himself so that what? She can respond to the things spoken by Paul. Paul said... It is in, in the Corinthians, it's, it's, it's not the, the wisdom of man, but it's really the love of God. Let me tell you a story of a notorious drug dealer turned underground pastor named Victor. In the early 1990s, Victor ran a major drug operation in Central Asia. He was so skilled at his job that he was offered a chance to smuggle drugs across three countries. His success came to a screeching halt in 1996 when he was caught with nearly nine pounds of heroin. Immediately, Victor was arrested and jailed while serving his lengthy prison sentence. He became suicidal. He said, I felt empty inside and did not want to live anymore. I did not know how long I would be in jail. I'd rather die. However, God had other plans for his life. One day, his jailmate received a package from his mom containing the New Testament Gospel of John, when his friend offered to let him read the book, he refused. Victor that night couldn't sleep, and as his situation grew increasingly bleak, and he finally picked up the book and began to flip through it. At first, the Bible made little sense to him, so he put it away. The sleepless nights quickly resumed, and in a moment of exhaustion and desperation, he once again turned to the Bible. This time, he could not stop reading and concluded that he wanted eternal life. He said reading about eternal life caught his attention, Thinking about it, I, I really desired eternal life more than I desired to be released from jail. As he read, he began to feel God's presence in an incredible way. I did not know how to pray, he said. So I just yelled to Jesus and said, I want to be saved. I want eternal life. I want to be born again. So he continued reading the Bible alone in his cell, just him in the book. When fellow prisoners later tried to smuggle him a package of drugs, he refused it. He looked at the drugs and he knew that it would lead to death. But with the gospel, he knew that it would lead to life. During this time, he received some bad news. Doctor diagnosed him with a debilitating disease that he predicted would kill him within a year. Instead of being devastated by the news, he felt confident he would go to heaven and began displaying a kind of joy his fellow inmates could, under, could not understand. His disease did not worsen. He was so overcome with gratitude that he and others started a church in jail and began gathering a small group, playing instrument, praying. Victor soon began preaching over the prison's microphone system. 
when he was released from prison, he decided to go to Bible college. During his studies, he started to work among the drug addicts in a rehab center, and along with several members of his church who works tirelessly to share the gospel with the local community. Victor is still alive today because God had a plan in his life. What transformed Victor is the word of God. That's how one gets saved, is through the word of God. As it was through the preached word, from the written word, that one is saved. See, the word is the instrument. It's the means to salvation. No wonder Paul asks, how are they going to call on the one they don't know? How are they going to know if they don't have a preacher? How are they going to have a preacher unless somebody is sent? Point number two. Jesus prays that all followers will be with him in a perfect place. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Jesus now gives his prayer request, his desire to the Father, that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. So who are the day in this passage? The, the day are the ones whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. See, the Book of Life was written by God himself in eternity fact before even creation. It contained the name of those whom God foreknew, for love, those whom God chooses to receive eternal life. In John 14, verse 1 through 4, again, this is part, again, of this upper room discourse uh, where Jesus is trying to give comfort to the, elect, to the, elect, to the disciples uh, as he was about to be arrested and beaten and killed and, and, and resurrected. And Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. As you read this passage, would you exchange the word you for your name? A place for you. Praise for Caleb. Praise for Greg. Praise for Amy. Praise for Dad. And, and, and Christ goes on to say, and you know the way to where I'm going. The first thing he says that is to stop worrying. To stop being anxious. And the, the way that we stop being anxious is that we believe in God. Believe also in Christ. And, and then he offers this guarantee this promise, this unbelievable promise that in my father's house are what? Many rooms, right? Many rooms. I'm so glad that Jesus mentioned many. Because it would be really sad if there's only some rooms. But he mentioned many rooms. And then he goes on to say, I go to prepare a place for me. Oh, wow. Many of us own a house, or so many of you many own a house. You may never pay your mortgage off. Right? You may never. Right? Uh, but you have a home already in heaven. It's all paid for. Amen? Amen? And you didn't even pay one bill. God said, in my father's house are many rooms, and, and I go, I'm going, so I could prepare a place for you. So that where I am, where Jesus is, there you will be also. You know, at this time, I think there should be some amen already, but it's okay. It's okay. If you don't want to, it's fine. I, I just said that there's, there's a room for you in heaven that you don't have to pay for. Right? I just said that Jesus came and prepared a place for you that where he is, you will be also. Amen. Okay? I'm so glad you're with me. This is the most wonderful news. You got to stay with me here. 
And Jesus said, you know where, I'm, where, where I am going. Jesus said, I am in charge of getting these rooms ready for you. God has a book in heaven. And as he goes through those names on the book, he writes down the room numbers of those people in those books. As he goes through the list of those books, he said, that's room number one. That's room number two. What number is yours? Do you have a number? Do you believe that you have a number? Do you believe it? In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, when the disciples came back after a missionary journey, and Jesus rebuked them and says, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. See, sometimes our joy comes in what happens to our lives, our circumstantial, isn't it, right? When you have a good day because everything's good, right? No problems, no, no issues, no nothing. And we say that is good. We rejoice in those facts. But, but Jesus goes and totally goes off and said this. Don't even rejoice, disciples, that, that the evil spirits are obeying you. Instead, rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Registered in heaven. Is your name registered in heaven? In Acts 13, 48, would you turn your Bible? Oh, actually, it's here. In Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Our rejoicing is not because of what we have accomplished in this world or what we have in this world. Our, our rejoicing comes because our name are registered and it's appointed in heaven. This is a singular thing that, that can give us eternal joy. Even when we're facing our own death. Yes, you may go to the doctor and he tells us that we do not have long to live. Do not be afraid because your name has been written in the book of life. Meaning you've been granted eternal life. See, this is the only one. There's only one question each person must hear and answer in this life. Is my name written in the last book of life? Will you consider this most serious question with all urgency? You cannot miss this. You cannot get this wrong. Because if you get this wrong, it's eternally damning. Will you consider this? You see, if it's true that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, when you hear the gospel, you will believe in Jesus Christ. You will call his name and be saved. But if it's not true of you, you will never bow your knees before God and confess his name. You will hate him and you will die in your sins and go to an eternal hell forever. That's why you cannot get it wrong. Our Lord prayed for all those whose names have been written in the last book of life. Let me make, let me make something abundantly clear. When you and I heard a gospel and believe in Christ, our names were not then written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They were already written down. You guys get that? Okay? It's not something you confess Christ, you, you raise your hand, you pray the sinner's prayer, and did that, and then at that time, he writes your name in the book. No. When you came to believe in Christ, your name is already written in it. And your room number is already written in it. We are saved because our names are written in the book. They were written before the foundation of the world. We were in God's mind and on his heart before the world was made. Before God said, let there be light. We were already on his mind and his heart. I'm going to show you a chart. Don't be scared of it. This is just a chart. Okay, this is what I would like to see happen. Uh, this may not be what will happen, but this is what I would like to see. Uh, the only reason I like this chart a lot is because it's, it's not so painful. You know, it, it kind of, I kind of get to be with Jesus ahead and before any of the mess happens. And, but yet there's some people who believe who like to go to this 
tribulation part. I don't. But uh, if you choose to, you go ahead. But, but, uh, but, um, but in, in this chart, we, we see we are right now in the church age. And then the next event in, in God's calendar is, is the rapture. And, and after that, it's this seven years of mess. It's a seven years of mess like it's never before. I'm going to move up from this chart because Sandy's getting offended. So let me just move on. <laughs> so in Revelation 13, 8, Jesus said, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Who's it? That's the Antichrist. Okay? And everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb was slain. Who was slain? So during this, this dreaded seven-year tribulation, people who are left behind will worship the Antichrist because he will demand of it, and they will be marked by the number 666 because their names were never written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It was never written. That's why they will easily worship the, the Antichrist and the beast and, and the false prophet, and, and they will accept the mark. Because their names were never written in the last book of life. They, they are devil worshipers. You see, only those whose names are written in this registry will be accepted in heaven. There are only two types of people. Those whose names are in the book and those whose names are not in the book. And the book of life belongs to Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. See, the book of life is a set of names. Who will live with God forever. It is the role of those who are saved. Moreover, in Genesis, in Revelation 17a, Jesus describes unbelievers as devil worshipers, the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And he, they will marvel to see the beast. See, when you see the beast, the Antichrist, will rise from the grave. And because it, they think it, it was and it's not and, and it's to come. They thought he was God. And there will be this amazing worship of the Antichrist. And people are committing the unpardonable sin. They, they will come to a full rejection of the Spirit's testimony about Christ. And will instead accept the Antichrist. See, the beauty about the Bible, John chapter 10, is that God knows who are his. He knows you by name. And you will know his voice. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Um, John saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Do you know what is the greatest sin that one could ever commit? God gave us his word. And the spirit empowered this man to write his word. And this word contains a testimony of who Jesus is and what he did. But when one rejects the Spirit's testimony about who Jesus is and what he has done, they have committed this awful work. And what is this awful work that they will be judged by? The rejecting of the Son of God. And... God and John said that unbelievers will be judged. They will be judged by the law, by the word. And they have no escape from the scrutiny of God. One of God's attributes is that he is omniscient. You know what that means, omniscient? He knows all things. He knew who came late to church this morning. He knows. Who knows who didn't get up this morning and say, I'm going to worship God one day a week. Uh, if you got hurt, I'm sorry. <laughs> but meaning this, he knows everything and he has kept a perfect and comprehensive record of every person's life. Just think about this for a moment. The book of Malachi, 
It says there's a book. And the book is called the Book of Remembrance. I don't know what the, what's in that book. Malachi only mentions the Book of Remembrance. But I know of an omniscient God. And an omniscient God keeps good record. And because he knows everything and he has kept perfect and comprehensive record of every person's life. That is to say that God is going to act justly. You see, God has complete, flawless, comprehensive records of every person's thoughts, words, and acts done throughout their lives. It's all in the books. How many of you are scared yet? How many of you are scared? I'm scared. Are you scared? I'm scared. What if today God gives me this book and I read your life? How many guys will run so fast from here? <laughs> right? When we? Right? It, it's all in the books. His omniscience has recorded it all. Sinners are going to be judged only on those bases, measured against God's perfect standard. See, often people think, you know, why, why is God sending some people to, to hell and not to heaven? Because they have failed to meet the requirement, and the requirement is perfection. So in order for you to get to heaven, you must be perfect. And how many of you here are perfect? I'm, I'm waiting for some hands to be raised. <laughs> how many of you here are perfect? No one is perfect. If you are, if you ever think you are, I'll be the first person to call you a liar. Because no one is. That's why Jesus had to come. The perfect one had to come. But see, those of us who have been chosen by God are also guilty of breaking the law of God, aren't you? How many guys here, you're not perfect and you're guilty of breaking the law of God? All right. I'm so glad I'm not alone. <laughs> right? But the diff here's the difference. The difference is our sins have been washed by the sacrificial blood of the Lamb. That's the difference. Therefore, we will not be judged according to our works, which otherwise would condemn us, but by the righteousness of Christ, who willingly accepted the penalty for our sins. Amen. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Amen? Amen? He came to the world to save who? Us. Whom did God choose? He chose sinners. The chief of sinners. The worst sinners. Jesus can only save sinners. He does not save anyone else. In 2 Timothy 1.9... If there's a passage that, that one has to memorize, this is one of them. 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it. Just get that? He saved you, called you, not because you deserve it. But because that was his plan. From before the beginning of time. To show us his grace. Through Christ Jesus. God's sovereign choice alone. Through his plan's purpose and amazing grace. Allowed sinners to receive salvation. And the right to stand before a holy God. Salvation and holiness rely on the giver alone. Not, not on the receiver. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound to save a what? A wretched man like who? Like me. Is that amazing grace? Somebody says, ask me, so you're telling me that God didn't save you because you deserve it. Yes. God saved me because I didn't. You know, when I look into the whole body of my life, last 50 years, there was not worth the saving. Absolutely not. 
And when somebody asks me, you know, and how come God does that? How come God doesn't save all? And my answer to him, I'm just glad that I'm part of the plan. I don't have the right to question how it happened or why I deserve it and one didn't. I just know that in his heart, he knew that I would love his son. It's not about who deserves it. Just look at your life. You deserve it. Who, who of us could wake up in the morning and say, yeah, 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 I deserve for Jesus to go to the cross and pay the penalty for my sin. No one would. That's why it's called grace. Right? In, in Revelation 20, 15, and, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. This is what will happen to those who are outside of Christ, whose names are not found within the book of life. They will be thrown down into the lake of fire and remain there forever. This is called the second death. And it's true because it's in the Bible. Let me ask you, do you believe the scripture alone is truth? Do you believe that it alone is the very word of God? Do you believe that everything the Bible teaches and the Bible said there's eternal destruction and eternal glory. You see, my destiny is glory. May that your destiny also, where we will live in the presence of the Trinity, the elect angels, and all of God's people in the new heaven and new earth. That, that's what God had planned for me. And I hope that's his plan for you. But, but I can't say that. I, I could never tell you that you're saved and, and he's not saved. No one could say that because I have not seen the book. How many of you guys have seen the book? How many of you guys here have the privilege to see the book? How many of you guys would like to see the book? You know, I would like to see the books because it will make my evangelism so easy. I will only go through the names I know who will believe. But he doesn't give me that a, a privilege. So he goes, what? Preach the gospel to all nations. He says, share your gospel to all nations. You don't know who's going to be in it. That's why we don't give up. I know it would be much easier just to see the book. Last Friday, I was praying about this. God, can I just get a glimpse of the book? It'll make my life so easy. And then something the Lord put in my heart, and it's really saddened me. I, I was in my office, and I was, um, I just stopped everything I'm doing, and, and I just realized something that, That I don't know if uh, it's my wish, it's my desire, absolutely, that all of you will go, all of your names written in the last book of life, but that's a stretch. Because the Bible has said that there's two kinds of roads, a narrow road and a broad road. Where the broad road, many finds it. And people who walk in a narrow road, and the few that finds it. And when, someone, when a disciple asks Jesus, how many will we be saved? And Jesus responds, there will be a few. Yes, it's my heart desire that you will, your name is written in the book of life. That's my wish and my desire that your name is written in it. But I can't guarantee you that. But all I know is that if I preach the gospel to you, you will believe. Because God already predestined that. God already called that. But I don't know. You know, and... In Revelation 21, verse 4, um, we just sang this a while ago. And uh, in one day, it says, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And I realized that because the chapter before, in chapter 20, he said that God will throw down to the lake of fire those who have not written in the book. It will be the greatest sadness, the biggest tragedy in my life. That if I will just see my children, one of them, be thrown out to the lake of fire. It will absolutely devastate me. And if I see any of you being thrown down to the lake of fire, it will absolutely devastate me. No wonder Jesus in 21 verse 4, he had to wipe out my tears. Because I know there's maybe a lot of them. Imagine seeing your loved ones being thrown out in the lake of fire. Can you imagine? 
In, in Luke 16, Jesus spoke about a rich man who died. He was in hell forever, in fire, in torment, in agony forever. In hell, the rich man became a believer and an evangelist. But it was too late. He would be in hell forever. Yet he had five unsaved brothers and trust, who trusted in their money. Being the oldest, he was concerned about their eternal state. He said, I have five brothers. They are rich. They party every day. Please send someone to warn them. And in fact, Jesus says, he had Moses and they had the prophets. They had plenty of opportunity to believe, but they keep rejecting. This man in hell was not concerned about the torment and the agony he was going through. His biggest concern that he had five younger siblings who parties and who rejects God. But he's in hell and an evangelist in hell. And all his concern was that, that someone will warn their what? His brothers. I, I, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that if we could get a, a 30 second glimpse of hell that we will be the greatest evangelist in the world. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. But suppose you do not want to believe in Christ. I want to tell you the alternative. In John 3.36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So how can one be saved? The apostle with the words of God, and the Spirit speaks the gospel. The elect of God will hear, they will believe, they will confess, they will pray, and they will get saved. They will be baptized, and they will join the body of Christ. They will persevere, bear good fruit, providing their calling and election sure, and that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The basis of our salvation is God's election before the creation of the world. The proof of our salvation is our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of our profession. If you want to know you're really saved, you want to know if you're saved, if you are a person who is abiding in the vine, and Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and we are to abide. And what is abiding? Abiding is obedience. Do you see an increasing pattern of obedience in your life? Or do you see an increasing pattern of disobedience in your life? That's how you would know. Because if you will abide in Christ, then you will make your eternity, you will make your election sure. Now let's talk about the other book that John talks about. John saw the book of life. The writer of Hebrews 12, 22-23 explains it this way. But you have come to the Mount of Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in, in, in festival, festive gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You know, in verse 22, it says, uh, one day that uh, I will come to this Mount of Zion in the city of my living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, Revelation 21, and the innumerable angels in this festal gathering. Remember last week when we took the Lord's Supper, at the end of our Lord's Supper, I would say next time with Christ. I remember because that's the hope, isn't it? That the next time we partake the Lord's Supper is in the presence of our King at Mount Zion in the place of our living God. Isn't that where you want to be? Amen. Isn't that where we want to be? I love the word the Hebrew says, who are enrolled in heaven. Would you just let that sit for a moment and ask yourself, are you enrolled? Are you guys enrolled? Without a doubt. You're enrolled in this book. That your book is written, that your name is written in this book. You know what Jesus said? 
There's many, many, many people who will call my name Jesus. And he said, I, you were never enrolled. I don't know you. Leave me forever. In Daniel 12, 1, again, you know, if we go, the tribulation period is called the time of trouble. And Daniel said, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since. There was a nation till that time, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So Daniel's saying, if, if you're the people of God, God said, I will deliver you from that time of trouble. You know the reason why you'll be delivered? It's because your name is found written in the book. And, and Paul echoes the same thing in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. You'll be delivered from the wrath to come. You know, believers who make excuses that they don't need to share the gospel because God already knows you're going about it the wrong way. Like I said earlier, have you seen the book? Do you know the names that are in those books? So guess what? Since you don't know whose names are in those books, guess what you do? You tell them about Christ. Right? You tell them about Christ. That's what you do. You're not called to save them. You are called to tell them. You know, the fruit of evangelism is not if they get saved. The, the fruit of evangelism is if you share it. Because only God does the saving. No one else could do the saving, right? We just need to do the sharing. And, and, and that's what we need to do. So I want you to think of someone in your life that, that right now, if, if, if they were to die, that, mm, that their names might not be in that book. What do you need to tell them? Tell them about Jesus. Tell them that they, be, they can be clothed with his righteousness. Tell them that they can be forgiven of all their sins. Tell them that there could be an eternal home for them in heaven. Tell them they could be with Jesus. Is that hard? In, in Luke chapter 8, uh, we read about a man who was possessed by 2,000 demons, and yet Jesus came and searched for him in the land of Ganeras because the man's name was written in the land of life. He saved him. When the people in the town came out, they saw him sitting down, clothed in his right mind, and the man wanted to follow Jesus, but he said, no, go back home and tell them what God has done for you. Tell them that I save you. Tell them that I can save them too. He became the first missionary to his people. God said to Moses, your name is written in the book, in my book. It's written in my book. It will not be blotted out. In Romans 9, 20, Paul said, for if I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brother. You know what he's asking? You know what Paul is telling you? If I could trade in my own salvation, if I could trade in my own eternal security, I would. Then God answers, what is written is written. So eternal security is this. If a person's name is written in the book of life, he will be saved forever. And when, Pete, when the gospel is preached, he will repent of his sins and be forgiven. Otherwise, he will remain an enemy of Christ. He will hate Jesus and die in his sins. But to those who have eternal life, Jesus said in John 10, 28 to 29, You know, actually, before I read this passage, would you just practice something with me? Would you say amen with me? Amen. I say read this passage. It's okay to yell it out. Okay? Okay, you guys ready? Okay. I'm going to go real slow. Okay. Number one. I give them eternal life. Amen. Oh, man. That, was that awesome? Okay. Second awesome thing. And they shall never perish. Amen. No one could snatch them out of my hand. Amen. Oh, wow. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one could snatch them out of my Father's hand. Amen. Isn't that awesome? 
Awesome. Before I move on, I think it's imperative for us to know that I have no greater desire than, than to see all of you in heaven. I want to continue this party with you, with God. Will you be there? Are you sure your names are written? Last part of verse 24, and this is our last point. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The second part of his prayer request is, is for them. All will come to faith in his son Jesus. We'll see his glory. That's when life starts. Life starts when we see God's glory. He prayed that when their earthly journey was over, they would join him in his kingdom to witness the full unveiled glory of Christ. The best part of heaven, with, with, it's not the golden streets, that's our nice, or being with your loved ones, or meeting all of the great saints, or, or even having this new, new resurrected body, as wonderful as all those things will be, the best part of being in heaven will be with Jesus forever. That's the best thing forever. D.L. Moody said that when he gets to heaven, he will sit with Jesus for a thousand years, and then he would ask, where's Paul? He meant the greatest thing about heaven will be to be with Jesus and experience his glory. Here in America, heaven is often viewed as some place to go only after you've seen all there is to see in this life. It's the American dream. It's as if for many American, heaven would be a, an intrusion into busy schedules, an interruption of career goals, vacations, and retirement plans. Heaven should be our focus. Paul said, seek the things that are above. Set the, your minds on the things that are above. And then he gives a negative command, not on the things that are, are here on earth. Where's your, where's your hearts? Where's your minds? If it's still stuck here on still you, what you want to get in this world, I want to get that house, I want to get that car, I want to get that retirement, I want to get all that pension. If that is the focus of your life, you have absolutely missed it. Because there's absolutely something greater than that. And you know what is greater than all of that? If you add all the riches in the world, all of it will not even be compared to a little bit of who Jesus is. He's our greatest treasure. He is our one. One lovely moonlight night, a grandfather and his small granddaughter went for a walk. The stars were magnificent. As the grandfather named individual stars in the constellation, the granddaughter exclaimed, Grandpa, if the bottom side of heaven is this beautiful, just think how wonderful the top side must be where Jesus is. This was my memory verse this week. In Psalms 27, verse 4, the one thing I ask the Lord. The thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfection and meditating in his temple. If you had one wish, what would you ask for? One thing. And I think for many of us, it will be, if we're really honest, what comes to our mind is something some gifts that God might give us. Some way that he might provide or something that he might do to make our lives easier. That's what the majority of people's prayers are. Is what God can give to me. But what I love about Psalms 27 is that what he asks for is just to be with God. Is that what you're asking for? Is that the very heart of your being? It's just to be with God? You see, my only hope as I read this passage this week and memorizing it, my hope is just to be able to desire this one thing, as the psalmist did. That the, the thing I seek most, that's the thing that I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord. Is that what you're seeking for? Is to live not in this house that we have built, but in the house of the Lord, delighting in Him. Well, I was memorizing this verse, 
I was convicted that those were things I would ask for. Evil reveals so much about my own heart that what I really want is something else besides God. That God is simply a means to my end, which is not the way our hearts are supposed to be. Our hearts are supposed to look to God, not as a means to an end, but God as the end. He is the one we want, the one we need. This is what our hearts are designed and created for. And our prayer should be, God, make us a person who finds you beautiful more than we find you useful. One missionary who visited the former Soviet Union made the comment after living with the folks that they were extremely poor and had to literally almost eat scraps to stay alive. As this missionary taught them about heaven, they were overcome with joy and they wept. Because they learn about the place where Jesus is. Everything here is scraps. Everything that you have is scraps. I don't care if you drive a Ferrari or a Volkswagen or a Ford. I don't care. Again, that's that Ford again. <laughs> Tim, I like Fords. <laughs> but they're all scraps. One more thing. Do you long to be with Jesus and see his glory? If you don't enjoy spending time with Christ now in his word, you're probably not really excited about being with him in eternity. Paul in Philippians 121, I never met such a man who was so eager to die. But Paul was eager to die because he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To him, death is gain. Because death means I will be with God. Death means to him I will be with Jesus forever and to see his glory. The Heidelberg Catechism begins with this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And here's the answer. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation, because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. So as those whom the Father gave to his Son Enjoy the blessing of salvation now and the joys of heaven ahead. What more could you ask for? Let's pray together. God, I just want to pause just for a moment just to, to give thanksgiving to you that our names are written in the book of life. God, we get confused of what it means to be happy, what it means, O oh Lord, to rejoice. For us, it's when we get a new car, or when we get a new house, or when we get a new job. And yet, Lord, our rejoicing should be that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God, my prayer is that you will save the church that you will lose none of them. That no one in this place right now who's listening to this will be ever thrown down into the lake of fire forever. I pray, Lord, that the names that are here are written in the last book of life. But God, I pray for those uh, people that we love, our loved ones, who doesn't have this saving knowledge of Christ. It could be our daughter, or our son, or our brother, or our sister, or our mom, or our dad, or whoever, our coworkers, whoever it may be. May God, you give us the zeal, the courage, just to tell them the love of Christ. So please, God, help us, O Lord, to set our, our hearts on the things above and to set our minds on the things that are above and not on the things on the earth. 
God, I echo the, the prayer of John at the end of the book of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, in Jesus' name, amen.